Welcome to episode number 19 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. I need to clarify that in this episode, I started out by saying it was episode number 21. I lost track. It's actually only episode number 19. Nonetheless, it's a fantastic episode in which I share some exciting news and updates from the world of Google Slides, G Suite for Education, and Basecamp. And of course, I answer a handful of questions from readers, listeners, and viewers like you. Hi, I'm Richard Byrne, and welcome to episode number 21 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. Or is it 21 this way? 21. Episode number 21 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. In this episode, as always, I'm going to share some news and notes from the week in educational technology share some thoughts from my classroom, and answer a handful of questions from readers and listeners and viewers like you. Let's get started. So first up in the news and notes category, if you missed the big news and you're a Google Slides user, you'll be really happy to know that Google Slides will now have an audio feature available to all users by the end of November. This is a feature that they've been teasing all year long. First made the announcement in the spring, North American spring, Northern Hemisphere spring. Uh, first made the announcement in the spring, then it went away. Some people had it, some people didn't. Uh, it was on hiatus. Now it's back. Official statement from Google came out this week. I already made a video about how to use it. I have it in two of my four accounts. It's a really great tool. Uh, there's still room for improvement in it. It's not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than any of the extensions or other workarounds that are out there. So check it out. Uh, you can find it on freetechforteachers.com or on my YouTube channel. I've got a tutorial about it. Really exciting thing. Now, as a side note to that or related note to that, Keynote and PowerPoint have had this same feature for years. Uh, so it's always funny to get excited about something that you know has been available in other tools for many many years and now it's finally available in google slides uh, so this week i or this monday was monday monday i tweeted that i'm considering becoming an iphone user after a decade of being an android user i've had Every iteration of Android from 1.0 to whatever version we're on now, which I think is 10.1, something like that. I've been an Android user. Uh, but I'm thinking about changing. And the reason I'm thinking about changing has a lot to do with data and data use. Not so much data use as in the amount of data I'm using, but what Google is able to collect and track and use from Android phones. Uh, part of this ties into a New York Times article about Google's Project Nightingale, uh, where a lot of health data didn't necessarily get didn't get anonymized the way it should have. Uh, so you know, there's that. Plus, Google just bought Fitbit, which you know gives them access to all kinds of other health data. So I'm just kind of you know considering my options, and also you know I think the iPhone Pro the new iPhone Pro looks really cool and I want to try it out. Uh, but I tweeted that out and the responses have been kind of split down the middle. Uh, yeah, I tweeted that out and it's pretty much some people are like, yeah, do it. And the other half are 
No, why would you want to do that? Android's so much better. So, I guess it comes down to me making my own decision. Uh, you know, it's a big investment, thousand dollars to buy the phone. So I'm not sure I'm ever gonna I'm gonna do it anytime soon. But I am thinking about it. Uh, my current Android phone, which I love, uh, is you know getting a little long in the tooth and starting to experience some some problems, mostly battery battery related. But it's getting a little long in the tooth. So before too long, I'm gonna have to make that change. Other Apple news this week: the new 16-inch MacBook Pro. So now you have a 13-inch or a 16-inch. And they're not cheap. Either way. <laughs> the 16-inch one is really not cheap. I think the cheapest one you can get is $2,400. So, not cheap any way you look at it. 15-inch uh, models seem to have gone the way of the CD-ROM. Just to say, not existent anymore. Um, what a little bit of Google news. Google, speaking of Google and how they're using data, Google is getting into... The banking business. Yeah, that's right. Uh, TechCrunch had an article this week about Google launching a new checking account product called Cash. C-A-C-H-E. Get it? There's a play on words there. Cash. Cash. Uh, and they're not doing the... Google's not going to be the bank. It's, I, I didn't quite understand all the nuance of it. I'm not a banking person by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but basically Google is going to be partnering with banks to offer this checking account. So the bank will still do the banking part of it, I guess. I don't really understand it, but it's interesting. So there's that. A new product, a, a new version of an old product is out from Basecamp. Basecamp is really popular project management software. Uh, it's been used for you know, probably close to a decade now with all kinds of organizations. This week they launched a new free version for schools or for students, freelancers, small nonprofits, schools. It's called Basecamp Personal. You can find it at basecamp.com slash personal. Some people are really excited about it. I think it's a it's a nice step, a nice it's a nice tool. I've used it in the past. Uh, I don't know how much schools really need it I, in terms of students. Uh, I'm not sure how many you know high school students really need it. You can do a lot of the same things uh, with other tools, but uh, it's worth worth noting because it is a service that's used widely in businesses. So uh, w worth noting that Basecamp does offer now a personal version that's available for free. And my last little highlight, I guess, for the for the week. An article from Alan Levine, who you'll find his work at cogdogblog.com. Uh, I always enjoy reading reading his stuff. Don't always agree with it, but I, I always enjoy reading it. Always learn something new when I when I go to his blog. Uh, he had an article this week about a service called Pixie, P-I-X-S-Y, and the article is called "Reversing Your Reverse Image Search," and it's all about. Uh, this tool Pixie that looks for copies of your original photographs and where they've been used online. So it's great. It could be a good tool to see you know where your personal photographs may have ended up online. Uh, now Pixie is not doing this just to be nice. They also offer a legal service 
that will file takedown notices if you find your copyrighted work has been used somewhere inappropriately. But check out a, check out Alan's article. It's really interesting reading. Uh, cogdogblog.com is where you'll find it. Good article. Reversing and reversing image search. So some thoughts from my school, my, my week at school. We had our first snow day of the year this week, which is partly why I'm still wearing my jacket as I record this podcast right now. It's cold in my office. Snow on the ground. We had our first snow day. And as is to be expected, my freshmen were completely thrown off by it. Uh, <laughs> my freshman students, uh, some of them came back to school. They didn't know what day it was. Uh, you know, we have a, an alternating block schedule, a green day, gold day schedule. So, you know, they lost track of their days, didn't know how a snow day would, you know, if they kept going or what happened. Uh, so, you know, that's part of it. And fortunately, we have uh, door greeters who stay stand at the door, the entrance of school, and tell people if it's green day or gold day. So that was nice. Shout out to my, to my friend Christy, my colleague Christy, who did that this week. Uh, in addition to our snow day, we also had Veterans Day off, so we had two days off in a row, plus my block scheduling meant that for some of my students, I didn't see them for over a week, uh, which with freshmen is a long time to go because you get out of a groove. Um, it's a long time to go. Now, my juniors and seniors, they didn't miss a beat. Didn't, didn't affect them at all, really. Speaking of my juniors and seniors, uh, my, one of my juniors did a really amazing, I shouldn't say it's amazing, but it did a really great thing. It was probably my, uh, the highlight of my week. Uh, one of my, two of my juniors and one of my seniors is, are working together on this rover project. And I've talked about it on other podcasts. So they're working on this rover project and um, we're at a point now where we're, pushing the limits of everyone's technical abilities. Mine, theirs, everyone's technical abilities and knowledge. And we had to get a little bit of information about the particular motors that we're using. Now, these are motors that are uh, no longer in production, but the company is still exists. And so we've been doing some research, we've been trying to do some research online, and finally one of my students just said, hey, why don't I just call them and see if they'll give me the information? And he did. And for the first number he called they didn't give him the information but they gave him a number for a distributor who sold the product who he then called and that person gave him a number for a repair service and that got him the information he needed about the motors so that we could program the motors to work um, as part of the rover project just gets back to the idea of you know you let your kids pick an interesting project and if they're really interested in it, they'll take the initiative and do some things that you might not have done. You know, I got to be honest, I'm not sure that I would have called all around looking for that information, um, but he did. And it was great. And, you know, he's moving forward in the project. So it's really, really interesting, really interesting work. And uh, hopefully by the end of the school year, the thing is actually running. This is going to be a what at first seemed like it might be a semester project is really going to turn out to probably be a year-long project. Uh, but it's a, it's a great project nonetheless. So, some questions from readers, viewers, and listeners like you for this week's episode of the Practical Ed Tech Podcast. First one came from Krista. 
Do you know of a free website or software where a student can build a chatbot app for cell phones? So my suggestion was to try getacquainted.co. Getacquainted.co, you can uh, create your own chatbot, and of course you can use it on a cell phone, or you can use it in your web browser. Uh, get it at getacquainted.co. And it helps to spell it correctly. Getacquainted.co. Build your own chatbot. Uh, great little, great little tool there. Uh, the question came from Melissa, who wrote, "I'm trying to create a digital sorting game with at least six categories, an easy online tool or apps you know of." So at first, I suggested ClassTools.net, but turns out ClassTools.net had a template for a sorting game, but it only went up to four categories. Melissa needed six categories. So my follow-up suggestion was to use flippity.net. Uh, flippity.net has a mix and match template that you can for making a mix and match game, a sort, essentially a sorting game. And that goes up to 10 categories. So hopefully that gets you sorted out. No pun intended, Melissa. Uh, related note about classtools.net, so classtools.net is run by Russell Tarr, who is a teacher in France, a history teacher in France. He's English, lives in France, teaches history. Uh, and he created classtools.net. And sometime in the last couple of weeks, Russell has decided to stop tweeting altogether and has actually zeroed out his, his Twitter account. He didn't delete the Twitter account, just zeroed everything out, took everything off of it. Uh, and now if you go to his Twitter profile, it says, I used to... I used to share my ideas here on Twitter. I no longer do. Go to class tools. Go to classtools.net slash blog. Uh, also took down the class tools Twitter account. So kind of an interesting, interesting move to delete that. I have not uh, talked to Russell about it yet. I plan to uh, about why he did that, what the motivation was for that. But uh, kind of interesting to, to see, particularly uh, as more and more people tend are starting to people who are on various social media for a long time are now starting to delete some of their social media profiles for various reasons. So I'm just curious to see what that's about. Right. Uh, a question came from Chuck, who asked, I'm trying, not successfully, to present at conferences. I've only been accepted to present at places that want me to join their organization and pay their conference fee, which doesn't sound right to me, although I know ISTE does the same. What tips, advice would you give to someone to help them build proposals that get accepted? Thanks, Chuck. So, Chuck, here's where I'll start. Well, first of all, put in a proposal to to speak at the Practical EdTech Creativity Conference. It's free. I'm not going to charge you a fee to do that. Uh, it's free for everybody. So, you could, just, you could put that proposal in if you want. Uh, regarding the paying uh, you know the registration conference registration fee early on i think i did that a couple of times for conferences and you kind of have to pay your pay your dues again no pun intended uh, you know to get your feet wet to get the practice in uh, no one's going to pay you to speak right out of the gate unless you happen to have a new york times bestseller or something like that uh, you know you got to practice and, and get your feet wet all that said to get to, to get your proposal accepted Couple of a couple of things that I've found have, have helped me, uh, and there are still conferences that I uh, give proposals to, and sometimes I don't get accepted. Uh, 
I got rejected for one just a couple weeks ago, uh, <laughs> which I thought was a great, great proposal, but apparently it didn't fit with what they wanted. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've been accepted more times than not, so I'll tell you this. Uh, most conferences are looking for conference titles that have uh, the ability to get people in the door. That's the biggest thing. Because remember, any conference that's you know worth going to has a lot of overhead. Uh, you know, even small conferences have a lot of overhead. When I run the Practical Ed Tech Summer Camp, uh, you know, I'm on the hook for four thousand dollars for twenty five people before the thing even starts. You know? uh, so you can imagine that's for twenty five people. You can imagine what it's like if you're running something that's going to draw in a thousand people. So you got to get people in the door. Uh, so that's the first thing, you know, consider your titles. And part of me hates doing that. Part of me hates having to write a title just for the sake of, you know, getting people in the door. But that's kind of what you have to do. That's kind of part of the game, if you will. The other part of it is with your proposal itself, uh, you know, in your description, it's always helpful to write in some key takeaways for the, for attendees, you know. You know, it could be you know, three things that attendees will know how to do by the time they're done, or you know, five five key considerations for everyone to think about as they get back to their their, their school, their classroom, whatever. Uh, but however you want to phrase it, having those clear takeaways is really really helpful. And then you know, you, you want to pick a topic that you know is popular but not so popular that there's going to be you know 12 other people doing the exact same thing uh, and it, it, it might be something you're really passionate about but there just isn't a whole lot of other people passionate about it uh, i'll give you the example i love google earth i love google earth and google maps and i'll talk about it till the cows come home i could do a three-day workshop on google earth you could fill up 24 hours on google earth but having had done that at plenty of conferences now i can tell you it doesn't get people in the door the way seven awesome things you can do with google docs does um, yeah likewise you know doing something like you know 12 12 magic steps to arduino projects has some clear clear takeaways that's probably a good title, like 12 Magic Step, Steps to Arduino Projects. Probably a great title. But if the conference itself doesn't have a whole lot of people who are interested in Arduino, might, might not get there. So, you know, those are my big, those are my big tips. You know, building those clear takeaways and depending on the conference, make sure you get some research in there. Google Scholar is your best friend in there. You know, people don't want to generally hear about research papers, but having some evidence in there uh you know three or four mentions of some scholarly articles that you've actually read uh, can help can help with that as well and good luck too like i said you know sometimes it's sometimes it's just luck of the draw too uh, yeah maybe three other people put in the same proposal and you uh just happen to be the the odd person out in that one all right, question came from Wesley. I've just watched a video about creating rubrics in Google Classroom. I'm from South Africa. I followed the steps accordingly, but it appears that we don't even have the option of creating a rubric. Any idea why? Yes, Wesley, because it hasn't been rolled out to everybody yet. 
That's why. The Rubrics in Google Classroom is a beta product. It's still in testing, so it just hasn't been rolled out to everybody. That's why you're not seeing it. Uh, the other part is, you know, your domain may not be on the rapid release domain. Talk to your domain administrator, your IT administrator. Make sure you're on the rap see if you're on the rapid release release domain. But it's a it's a beta product, and your your IT administrator, your, your domain administrator, did have to apply to get access to it early. Uh, another question here, uh, Google question: Is there a Gmail add-on or app that will allow me to grab pre-written email response to people? to send to people having the same question. For example, someone emails me asking for instructions on how to do X, and I just grab that canned response to use in my reply. Yes. So, you got a couple of options here. Number one, there is a canned responses option in Gmail. It's available to everyone now. Go into your Gmail settings. So go into your, you know, go into your Gmail account, and you'll be able to activate it in your Gmail settings uh, and you can set create canned responses again on my youtube channel i've got a video about how to do that so that's one option your other option would be to use an auto text expander there's a chrome extension called auto text expander that will do exactly what you're describing um, put in pre-written text that you have auto text expander is great because you just have to write it type a little keyboard shortcut and there's no copying and pasting at all it's just a quick hey click you know type in three three keys a combination of three keys and boom it fills out paragraphs for you if you've written a whole paragraph out uh, so yeah two options there two options and I, again i've got you videos on my youtube channel about how to do both of those things and the last question that i have came from mary who asked, I have a group of 8th grade students who would like to record an audio version of a play they have written based on a short story. Sounds like a cool project. They want to include sound effects, some, have found some, some they have found online, some they have created. Can you recommend a Chrome extension for this? The students have MacBook Airs to do the recording. So, I wrote back to Mary and I said, Mary, if you have MacBook Airs, you should have access to GarageBand and GarageBand is going to have way more options available to them than any Chrome extension, uh, or at least as many options as any Chrome extension out there, and isn't going to require you know, installation of anything additional. Uh, yeah, I would use GarageBand. GarageBand is going to give them everything they need and then more in terms of sound effects and sound editing. So if you have MacBook Airs, use GarageBand. That's what I would do. GarageBand is free, by the way. If you're if you own MacBook Airs or Mac computers, you have GarageBand. It's free, uh, so just use that. All right. So that concludes this episode of the Practical EdTech Podcast. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks is the Practical EdTech Creativity Conference. I'll be announcing all of those sessions I, I know in the last podcast I said i'm announcing them soon i'm really announcing them soon uh, i'm still waiting for just two other presenters to get back to me with their confirmation but otherwise we've got nine awesome sessions lined up and you'll be able to check them all out real soon at practicaledtech.com and on freetechforteachers.com both places so that's up have a great weekend and as always, if you have any questions for me, send me an email. Richard at burn.media is my email address.
Bye-bye.